You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. Digital Noise is back. Ooh, ooh. Aaron is back. Yeah. Chris is back. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. We got lots of uh, home releases to talk about. As always, we love discussing these things. We don't always enjoy watching them, but we sure <laughs> like talking about yeah, them. Yeah, this is a this is a decidedly different experience than our last episode. Yeah, our last episode where we had entirely Asian films, of which. I just one degree or another enjoyed all of them. I, I was going to say the, the weakest of them. I just didn't really know what was going on. I still had fun. Yeah. But this week it is a very different experience yep. with some older films, some newer films, and all of them are really deeply flawed in one way or the other. But I would argue hysterically so. I, okay. Uh, you know, one yeah. way or the other. Yeah, you know, sure, yes. Hysterically so. Okay, so give, yeah. the first one we're going to talk about here is not one that is hysterically so, and I'm not even sure it's bad. I'm just not sure I got it. And that is Ayidi Monamore, which is a 2016 Haitian drama that uh, originally screened at 2016 at, at TIFF. And it was the Haitian entry for Best Foreign Language Film at the 90th Academy Awards, but it was not, in fact, nominated. It was the first time Haiti had ever sent a film for consideration to the Oscars. You know, all right. Before we get into the plot, I have an issue with this movie that has nothing to do with the story. Uh, and this is a personal biases I did not realize I had until I was about five minutes into this movie and I really realized what was going to happen. Okay. Um Every single time you see a country's first film to hit wide release, it seems, please God correct me because I want this to not be true, it's the same basic movie to me where it's very naturalistic, it's very documentary feel, it's very arty, it's very navel-gazy, and like this movie started and I was just going, oh, it's this movie. Okay, I've seen this a dozen times before in all different countries, and it, I spent half the movie going, how come the first movie to make it out of Haiti couldn't be like a madcap comedy where people dealt with their shit with humor, or like a, a brutally violent, dark action drama, or like just something besides this kind of a movie? There, That's the issue I had going into this movie that is not the fault of this movie whatsoever. What's odd about this movie is that it's three separate stories that... Are Don't, kind of interconnected. But, oh, not, but not really, you know, in the most tertiary of fashions. Yeah. And two of them, t- t- two of them are, and one is kind of does its own thing. Technically, it's all magical realism, but it never feels that way at all <clears throat> watching it. So it's like five years after a giant earthquake in Haiti. One of the stories is this teenage kid who ends up having his body charged up with electricity 
Well, so he's got like electrical superpowers, but not like a superhero who's zapping stuff. He's not like Shazam zapping cell no, phones. Just, he charges things. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's like, and that's not really even part of the story. It's really about a kid, a teenager dealing with dealing with living in an impoverished Haiti post disaster, dealing with being a mixed race. Uh, kid where yeah. he's ostracized for it. Yeah. And, and starting to have a relationship with another mixed race kid, but who's American. Yeah. Kind of. and, uh, okay, sorry, I think... No, I keep going. From you. It's a, no, uh, go. And it's, uh, the, by all means, the, please. The, the other story is about a fisherman who and I might get stuff wrong, please tell me if I do. His wife previously died and he's struggling with why he's doing this, why he's here with finding purpose. Well, I don't think his, she's died. She's just sick. Did she was he, His story is the one I admittedly understood the least of. He's trying and to find then, a cure for her. And then the third is the one that led to my rant in the beginning, which is about a... The personification of a writer's creativity, his... One of, or, the main character in his story. His muse. Yeah. Wanting to escape from the shackles of his words and find her own inspiration and yeah. way through life. So, like, they set up right off the bat, she is not a real person. Yeah, explicitly. Explicitly. And then she goes around, ends up wandering out of his compound where he lives and talking to people and interacting with things in no way that feels like it makes sense with the continuity of what oh, we've just been given. I, I was very confused. I was like, wait, so is she actually a fantasy character? Is she like, is she a physical muse so, that lived there and is a real person? I, I did not really, uh, the only one of these three stories I understood at all was the teenager story. The other two, I was like, I'm not entirely clear what this is, I, I what's got, really going on. I got hers, but her story is one that's, I think, the most steeped in metaphor. And here's the thing, like that... <laughs> What we've described is is the plot for what it is, but that's not this movie. This movie is not about a story. It is about life in Haiti. And, like, these characters, they don't have electricity. They don't have running water. Um, they are dealing with poverty on a scale that we don't understand. And they're still trying to find their that purpose and that's really what the movie is about it's a meta movie where it's about the underlying subtext in what we're saying in which uh, i revert refer back to my original statement um like it is interesting if you like that kind of a movie it it, it is kind of a, a view into a culture that I know nothing about. And that's always kind of an interesting pull for me. And I will admit that when we started getting some kind of a plot happen in this movie, I got a little more interested in the last second half, and I started to walk back from my original point of view, and then nothing really happened. No. But, um, and so, like, it is shot with this, like, like, my wife walked in and caught part of this and thought it was an actual documentary. Yeah, it's uh, shot like one. And so, it, it's a, it's a, if you're really into obscure, arty, independent cinema, especially world cinema, like Scent of the Green Papaya, like that kind of a movie. Good example. If you're into that, you'll probably find some stuff to enjoy in this, because it is a beautiful movie. It does have a really nice musical texture to it. I, I'm willing to bet you out. 
money that they're all non actors portraying these characters. It felt that way, yeah. And like it's so it, it does have a lot going for it. It's just the fact that at this point in my life, I've seen this movie from every developing country as they start to build out a burgeoning cinema industry. This is the kind of movie that inevitably makes it over to America. Mm-hmm. And like, it hasn't been there, done that quality for me that I couldn't move past. No, I don't disagree with you at all. <laughs> it is very documentary like shot. It has a lot of scenes that if you're trying to watch this in any sort of plot way, which the film is based around plot initially, like these setups, and then devolves into this, clearly it's just supposed to be metaphor, it's hard to stay with it. You're like, why is this happening? Why is this relevant? Because the movie's not about what it's about. Yeah. Okay. You know the type of movie I'm talking about. And these things, for me... It's, it's don't always work. It's the kind of movie where 65% of the dialogue is monologue over uh, visual uh, just shots. Uh, just people talking about their inner thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't get with this, man. I tried. I wanted to be with it. The description of it, I was like, ooh, that sounds cool. And also, we I don't think I've, I, I've ever seen a film from Haiti, so yeah, let's agreed. give it a shot. And I found it, despite some really interesting views of the, of what Haiti looks like, which I know very little about, although it has some beautiful beaches, <laughs> clearly. Um, yeah, I, 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 I won't remember this in a month. I, I want to see a Haitian madcap comedy. A dark comedy where they're dealing with the pain and suffering that they're dealing with in this movie. That's fair. But like where they're working through it in a different non-college student film way. So our next release is the mystifying decision to put out Oliver Stone's The Doors on 4K. And I get it. The Doors, uh, Stone's 1991 biographical film about The Doors, although, let's face it, it's about Jim Morrison, not The Doors, um, is visually crazy. It's all over the place. He's much like Natural Born Killers. He's experimenting with a wide range of different visual styles that often are not comfortably juxtaposed versus each other and is just trying to throw a bunch of shit at the wall to represent cinematically what his feel of this period of time was. And I, that's admirable thing to try. What you end up with is a film that is both a attack piece and a love letter to Jim Morrison at the same time. That is kind of, that is genuinely dull in its adoration of the period of time for me. I, I had a really odd journey watching this movie. I've seen this movie two or three times before. Yeah, I've seen it and, yeah, two times before. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started the movie up and like I I had an immediate visceral love for it. Just let me go through this, please. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um fair enough. Where I was like Holy shit, I forgot how much I really love this period of Oliver Stone's work. When he was super experimental. I like it when... I, I I kind of like a lot of Oliver Stone's work in theory because he did make really crazy movies. He's, he's had movies that are great. And, no question. And I was super with this movie. Like, hardcore, holy shit, how have I not watched this movie in a decade? And... I was like, yeah, we're with it, and then the doors are formed, and I'm watching Jim Morrison's journey, and I hit the inevitable fall from grace that happens, and I'm like, okay, cool, I gotta go to the bathroom. Clearly, like, this is the climax of the movie. There's like 15 minutes left, let me pause it. Oh, there's an hour and a half left in this movie. Yeah. 
Like, it's just, you could cut an hour and ten minutes out of this movie, and it would be a great movie. Yeah, you could definitely make a much, much, much shorter version of this film, and it would be very watchable. Because there are some really amazing sequences. Totally agree. I Val love- Kilmer is terrific yes. at Jim Morrison. Uh Oh my god, I can't think of actors' names today. Uh, uh, Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan, yeah. Really great. Playing one of the two major love interests in his life, but the one this movie's more interested in. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot I can applaud about this movie and about Oliver Stone's filmography, uh, because I I love the movies he made around this time period before he got a little more commercial. He was was a few years away from his last good movie, which was Any Given Sunday. Basically,. Oliver Stone through the late 80s and into the 90s made some phenomenal work. And then he made this. And like, God, just, this just, I don't, I think I stopped it with like 20 minutes left. I couldn't do it anymore. There's, there's a point that you're just so exasperated with yeah. it. I, I was just like, oh, for fuck's sakes, movie, you are so meandering. You're, you're trying to recreate the experience of being on drugs. Which <laughs> does a good job of, but just... Like, it tells its story. And there, the point that I gave up on the movie was when he lights the bathroom or the closet door on fire, mm-hmm. which it wasn't even that narrative beat. It was just, we've already spent 20 minutes in him being a terrible human being. You know, there was no more story to tell for the movie at that point, really. I, I it was, was just a, beating a dead horse. I honestly kind of wished that, because of all the celebrity deaths, the most conspiratorial is is Jim Morrison. The, oh, what if Jim never died? Believe me, there's much more of conspiracy theories and much more, to be honest, like actual evidence. But I'm not <laughs> suggesting it's real. I'm just saying that's why there's so many conspiracies about it, that Jim Morrison faked his own death. There's a lot of stuff that you're collaborative stuff that you're like, okay, I'll give you that of all the conspiracies this is the only one that might hold any water. He never even touches on it. And this is Oliver Stone. <laughs> you're like, why don't you want to touch on it? I want to see a version of this film where he was like, no, we're doing this version. <laughs> I want to see, this is too old for this to happen, but with the people going in and like cutting the prequels down to one movie or the Hobbit movies down to one, I want someone to go in and take this movie, just the stuff that's shot, and re-edit it and cut out a third of the movie. Agreed. And make a good Oliver Stone trippy, weird movie out of it. Well, and it is trippy. And it is visually gorgeous and engaging. But at this long of a running time, it starts to fade after a while because it just doesn't feel like it ever knows where it's going. Like I said, it points... It wants to be a hit piece on Morrison of what a useless piece of shit he was. And in my opinion, he was a useless piece of he shit. Was, although, uh, although, but right. and other times it's an absolute just fucking bending over backward love letter to him. The other thing that happened, and this happens every time I watch this movie, is I remember that even though Jim Morrison's kind of a terrible human being... I kind of like his music. I really like The Doors. I've always gone back and forth. I've always I've said a hundred thousand times in my life, The Doors are a great band. Ray Manzarek should have been the leader of them, yeah. who is played here by Kyle McLaughlin. Who does a great job. Uh, yeah, in fact, the, the whole cast of people playing the rest of the doors is great. Frank Whaley is playing Robbie Krieger, <laughs> and Kevin Dillon is John Densmore. You're like, 
the movie's called The Doors. I would have liked to see more with the actual Doors. Yeah. Manzarek is by far the most interesting, was the most interesting and kindest member of this group. Hell, he's the reason one of my favorite bands of all time even made it at all. X from L, the band X from LA with uh, John Doe uh, and um, Xine Serpanka. He found them early and, and said, I want to produce you guys. I love what you do. And he ended up like even uh, uh, doing keyboards on their doors cover on their, on their, one of their albums, which is really That's cool. Kind of awesome. But Manzarek was like amazing. And the music, he, I feel he's the guy who was kind of the band leader for the music. And the music of the doors is amazing. The lyrics are interminable. <laughs> I mean, there's a few exceptions where I'm like, it's not that bad. But even the movie's like, yeah, Morrison didn't write all the songs. In fact, most of the ones you really like. Like Morrison didn't write the lyrics too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've always found Morrison just just pedantic and dull and overblown. Like, come on, pretentious, pretentious is, is the word. Fuck. <laughs> I'm just not that interested no, in him. Like, I'm sorry. This is just like as much as I want to like this movie. It's just a bad movie. It, it really kind of is. <laughs> and like you said, there's a way you could edit this and make a really great movie out of it. Yeah. But as it is. Man, 141 minutes of this shit, of him, like, fucking Morrison, or as Val Kilmer plays him accurately, I'm sure, just gallivanting around, hitting on everything that moves, trying to act like... I mean, when I was growing up, I knew dudes who thought they were Jim Morrison, who did this same shit. And our little alternative crowd show up. They always had a shirt that was unbuttoned all the way, who were like, what's up, my baby, my love crowd? <laughs> you know, we're that guy. You're just like, oh, fuck off. And it, I haven't said that it might be Val Kilmer's best performance. It's really it's great amazing. performance. He really nails it here. And, actually, and he even sang a lot of the songs. <laughs> when they... The one thing that was fun was when they get got into Val Kilmer or Jim Morrison exploding and becoming, you know, the prototypical rock figure. Uh, I got really intrigued by Nico and the Velvet Revolver and like Velvet Underground. Doing, Velvet Underground. I should have doing research into them. I was like, I need to listen to their music again. It's been a while. Velvet Underground is like one of the greatest bands and of so all time for me. The, the that is the thing I am most grateful about this episode of Digital Noise is it got me listening to Velvet Underground and the Doors again, which okay. I haven't done in eight years. Like I said, mixed bag on the Doors for me. Like I think the music's great, the lyrics are not terrific. Velvet Underground I find to be astonishing, and they were unqu- I mean, the Doors were unquestionably a game changer as well for changing the history of music. But for the type of music I like, the Velvet Underground was yeah, more important for changing that. Like all the bands I like. We're deeply influenced yeah. by the Velvet Underground, not the Doors. <laughs> so, uh, and this is, t- I mean, it's nonstop Doors music. I mean, like, literally, there's nonstop. barely a scene in this, there's not a Doors song playing. Yeah. Um, some of which are sung by Val Kilmer, some of which they used the original Doors fact, stuff. That's why you watch this movie. This is a damn near three-hour Doors music video. That's it how really you is. It. it looks like a music video the whole time. <laughs> And I thought he used this level of experimentation of trying a bunch of really just throwing so much different stuff at the wall to seeing what sticks much more effectively with the jagged natural born killers, which was supposed to make you constantly yeah. feel uncomfortable and make you like question what is actually going on with here. I'm like, I'd rather watch you turn than this. 
I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't like U-Turn at all. I remember liking it, although I kind of want to rewatch it and see if it's one of those that I was just the right age. I still hold on to Any Given Sunday as his last watchable film. I'm not going to discount that. Any Given Sunday is great. Yeah. it's And I don't even like football. And Agreed. It's a pretty yeah, good movie. Football is one of those things. I think we both said this. I don't watch football. I don't like football. I adore football movies. There you go. <laughs> and there's not a lot of them overall. There's no. mainly, like, baseball movies. And I don't yeah. like baseball. I like baseball even less than football. I like baseball movies. I, I can care less about baseball movies. Baseball movies are good. When's the last time you saw The Natural? I don't think ever. With Robert Redford? Great movie. Or ever. Field of Dreams. However, I, I've seen Field of Dreams. I really want to watch The Replacements again with Keanu Reeves. I remember <laughs> really liking that, but it's been a long time. It's great. Or Major League. Yeah, okay. okay. Or, a, see Major or, League. or a, 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 a League of Their Own. Yeah, if you ever want to know how good The Doors is, we're talking about baseball movies <laughs> instead. I, I know. <laughs> so there's a lot of historically wildly inaccurate stuff here. So if you're trying to look at this as any sort of like, this is what really happened, don't. There's yeah. so much stuff that's wrong that did not happen here. It's, I mean, it's such a stylistic movie. You should know going into it that no, this is not how this actually happened. Uh, it's an Oliver Stone movie and Oliver Stone is rarely, if ever given a fuck about what actually happened as opposed to true. telling the story he does. I'll give him and I'll, I know a lot of people would argue with me, with the possible exception of JFK, which he was so obsessed with telling what he thought was the actual accurate truth that he rarely went off into stylistics. I need to rewatch. I I need to rewatch a bunch of his movies of this era because I remember having very strong feelings towards them. But it's been it's been over a decade for any of them. I, I really enjoy JFK. I have very confused feelings over what the truth is in that whole scenario. This is JFK's attempt to do a very accurate telling of one version of events um, that I don't find less realistic than the FBI's version. In fact, possibly more realistic, but I don't know. I, I actually find it very engaging. Once again, over long, but still. Anyway, this is 4K. The last version of this was on Blu-ray. It was a really shitty transfer for a film that definitely was shot in a way that should not have a shitty transfer. This is by far, both visual and audio-wise, the best version that exists of this film out there. I mean, by a Agreed. sizable margin. Agreed. So if you are a fan of this film, no question you need to upgrade to this yeah, version. Yeah, this is the version to own. Yeah. Um, so it comes with... Uh, the, the the Blu-ray edition as well, which has all the previous stuff. And there's actually some new extra features here. There's a brand new interview with Inter- Oliver Stone for 31 minutes uh, going back through this. Uh, like, you know, a lot of this stuff when it's so distant in time from him having make it a little dated feeling. But still, interesting to see. I always love the this many years later seeing people do retrospective. But I kind of like, why don't you get Val Kilmer in there with well, you in the studio and talk Val about Kilmer's it? Val kind of gone... Weird. So is Oscar's Oliver Stone. Uh, admittedly, I didn't. I didn't know he was alive. Yeah, he's alive. <laughs> uh, there's a new interviewer with the mixer for the new uh, sound mix, which is admittedly a Dolby Atmos mix, which is fantastic. Uh, and then the theatrical cut has the audio commentary on the 4K, which is also available on the Blu-ray version. Like I said, along with all the original archival stuff. Yeah, I can't recommend the Doors, but I know people who adore it. 
Really? Yeah, I mean, some people love the doors like the way that Deadheads love the dead. Okay. I know I, there was a guy I was I grew up with who loved them so much that like I mean he I I don't think I ever saw him without either a Doors t-shirt or a Black Flag t-shirt. Weird, right? Okay. But those were the two bands he was like they could do no wrong. <laughs> those were his spirit animals. Yeah, some people were just like, "Yeah, I'm fucking a Doors guy. What are you going to do?" Let's move on to a newer film called Body at Brighton Rock. I had heard a lot about this when it played South by Southwest, and it was one of those movies I just didn't get around to seeing. And even our screener squad gave it a look. There are some people I know who, it, who they had talked about this movie when it played at South by Southwest in, their, in the intervening time and hailed it as an amazing film. I had high expectations for this movie. I feel like I may have gone in with a little too high expectations yeah, for this movie. Too. Because <laughs> Body of Brighton Rock starts off feeling, I mean, dead on exactly like one of those 80s teen party movies. Take teens, put them in like a situation that's a little different from normal. You know what I mean? Like ski place, summer camp, what have you. Hijinks ensue, partying and lots of booby shots. It feels completely like we're getting started on one of those goofy fucking films with all the relationships between the characters and the fucking stereotype characters. And I'm like, what? Did I put the wrong disc in? Is what I was saying. And then the movie at one point goes, oh no, we're a horror film. And even then is completely unclear (laughs) on how to do that. I found like, so the story here with this, the new girl who is, uh, she's not new. She's newish. Part-time summer employee, uh, working at a mountainous state park. And she's, she wants to like do more, but her friends are like, come on, you were like, not, they're basically calling her shallow. Like, like you are not going to be a city gal. Yeah. You're a city gal. You're not going to be, this is not for you. Um, and she talks one of her friends into trading for a little tougher gig, which is to do a rough trail assignment to go out and put notifications on stuff. And she gets lost. And when she's out there at the, the titular Brighton rock, she finds a dead body of a dude. And it's unclear what he died from. And she manages to get on the walkie-talkie people and say, Hey, uh, I found this body. I'm not sure what to do. Also, apparently, I'm not where I thought I was. I'm not entirely clear where I am. And they're like, well, look, there's no way we're going to even <coughs> possibly find you till morning. You need to, as a ranger, your job is to stay there, to mark it out, to keep any animals or possible other hikers from fucking with the body. You have to stay there the whole time. Like we said, she's a city girl. So she gets out there and she starts almost immediately freaking out. Which, hold on. This setup, I think, is fantastic. Agreed. Like, like it is a phenomenal setup. And honestly, I don't have the issue with the beginning that you did, Chris. I think it it makes sense with who the character is, because that's the kind of movie that she would have been in. Yeah. And, and when it makes the genre shift to horror film, I was actually totally with it. The problem that I ended up having is that... <coughs> I guess the movie it it spends a lot of time with her freaking out and her dealing with the mental side effects of being in this stressful situation and that was 20 minutes of the movie maybe 30 minutes of the movie yeah that should have been 5 and I what I really wanted was a 
a survival movie about her dealing with the elements, dealing with things that are happening. Or, like, there's a point when she sees another human being. I'm like, I'm like, great, this is a potential setup for some, like, really thrilling stuff. And, and it just never does that. It's far more interested in what is she emotionally dealing with by being in the situation. And, and, and it does get a little physical at the end. There are some actual threats that occur. But even then, it, it, it kind of drifts a little bit into the supernatural. Look, right, right before it gets to the very end, because the very end is so stupid, it's unbelievable. I just went, this is the dumbest fucking twist for this movie. Okay, the twist, I agree. I agree. So dumb. The but they, they finally get into a thing that should have been the gist of the movie, which is there's a fucking bear wandering around, which I was like, that was cool. Or, or even, you know, that should have been like her... It should have been a dealing with this bear that's coming and trying to figure out how to survive. Like, this guy was killed by a bear. Now you have to figure out how to survive when the bear is going to keep nosing around. That should have been this movie. Or Instead, the bulk uh, of it is her having fucking hallucinations about the guy turning into a zombie. And well, you're like, like I, what is that? I would have liked to have seen a movie where because there's a big question about how the guy died. Was he murdered? Maybe. I would have liked to have seen her, like, having to fight off a guy who murdered him. Like, something like that. Anything. That would have been another option, yeah. yeah. But, like, what they went with, I just, I I wasn't interested in. I I feel like I'm, this is the kind of movie that I kind of find myself going, maybe I should watch it again at some point, when, now that I know what I'm going in for. Yeah. And so I can more properly be like, okay, this is the kind of story it's telling. Yeah, because it's kind of. See if it grabs me. Startlingly different than anything you would expect to do here, but the execution was so poor, I thought. You know, I just was like, I'm not with you at all, movie. I mean, even the, they're trying to do the translation of like, whether a hallucination or a dream in a way that's slightly confusing to make it unclear to the audience whether or not, and it shouldn't be. It's always so clear to me, though, whatever that was happening. So much would have been saved from this movie if they had just left the zombie dream hallucination aspect out of it entirely. Agreed. That never should have been part of this. It's completely irrelevant. It's just symbolic of this girl who is the city girl freaking out about the situation, but it's so on the nose, generic. You're like, okay, couldn't you have come up with a more complicated, interesting, like maybe you have a thing where like one of her dreams is like, they're different. One of her dreams is he's been killed and now the killers have shown up. That would have been interesting. You know, the problem is that they sell the idea that she's a city girl freaking out in 10 minutes of screen time. And then we spend another 20 minutes Dealing with the ramifications of it. Yeah. So it's just the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. It is just the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. I was expecting so much more because I'd heard so much positive stuff from this out of South by. I'm like, what movie did you guys see? Because yeah. I thought this was like repetitive. Th- repetitive and made so many wrong decisions along the way. Just pointedly, obviously wrong decisions filmmaking wise. You know, I mean, you said that beginning thing didn't bother you, but I was like, it set this tone so very specifically for a kind of film, and then it just chose to, in no way, shape, or form, ever return to any aspects of it. I've seen movies that do that genre shift that start off goofy and fun. Yeah, sure, of course. They shift them to a really intense, violent thriller. I'm cool with that. I think that's great. I think you it's can a- do it. It was just being so specifically one of those type yeah. films, the referencing that type of film that I'm like, I felt like maybe you should have kept this whole thing kind of funny at points. Agreed. Like, to, if you're starting that way, like almost every 
horror film with a bunch of young people starts off trying to be funny and goofy, although most of them fail. This one, actually, I was kind of like, I kind of like these characters. Um, They're they're stereotypes, but they're fun stereotypes that date, that harken back to a previous type of movie. I'm like, oh, this should should be, there's more horror comedy than I thought it was going to be, but it's not. And I was like, so what was the point of putting all that work into that first thing if you're just yeah. gonna, like, end up with this movie that <clears throat> really those characters are completely irrelevant yep. that you've introduced, that you spent time and effort introducing in the first act? I don't know. I just, I found this thoroughly mediocre. It needs a lot more work. Um, yeah, there's a few extra features. There's a commentary with the director and the main star, Karina Fontes, uh, and a few little EPK things, photo gallery. I, I know a lot of you guys are going to watch this thing anyway. Maybe you'll disagree with me. Obviously, other people like this movie. I just, I just I didn't care. For all that I had really serious problems with it, I would be interested to see what else these creators and this main actors do again. I didn't think they were incompetent because or anything. They, they, there's touchstones of good there. Yeah. I, I would like to see them once they've grown up and, and learned from their mistakes and successes. Yeah. I would worry that they're only paying attention to the positive reviews and not the <laughs> negative ones. So... Our next up, we're going way back to 1976 with Era's re-release. One of those films that's been on my bucket list forever to check out as a horror fan, Alice, Sweet Alice, uh, starring Brooke Shields in her film debut. And a lot of kids are like, who the fuck is Brooke Shields? I had no idea that was Brooke Shields. Yeah, that was, really? You didn't recognize Brooke Shields? Wait, who was she? She was the younger daughter who... who yeah, no, who did not yeah. hit me at all. Um, set in 1961 in New Jersey... Uh, and deeply influenced by the completer, completely superior Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now from 1973, as well as a certain degree of Alfred Hitchcock, because every <coughs> thriller made in the 60s and 70s and most of the ones in the 80s were deeply influenced yeah. by Alfred Hitchcock. It follows uh, a family and their relationship with the Christian church, uh, Catholic church. Uh, this mother, Catherine, has two daughters, nine-year-old Karen played by Brooke Shields, and 12-year-old Alice. Wait, were they not twins? They were not twins. I spent the entire movie thinking they were twins. No, they were not. Um, (laughs) They both go to a Catholic school. Uh, The younger one's preparing for a first communion, uh, and the father gives her uh, his, his own mother's silver crucifix as a gift, which ends up being very much a MacGuffin item in the film. Uh... Anyway, the upside of this is Alice is clearly not happy about all the attention Karen's getting. She's lashing out at her younger sister, getting more attention than she is. Has this translucent mask she's wearing to scare people. And, and the family is very dysfunctional. They're, uh, it's a divorce. It's a family of divorce. The father isn't really in the picture as much. Uh, and the mother's sister is staying with them. And the mother's sister is blatantly and continuously verbally abusive to Alice. Yeah, she's horrible. In every single interaction they have. Uh, yeah, she's like, and and becomes like many characters in this film, ultimately a suspect. Yeah. Uh, um, but, so, you go to the First Communion, and this film that's kind of like, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's relatively well shot, but I'm like, okay, where's this going? Oh, look, it's Brooke Shields. It was like, vaguely interested. Goes fucking crazy. Uh, at the First Communion, someone that looks an awful lot like they want you to think like the daughter Alice, because someone wearing a translucent mask and a yellow raincoat like she and the character from Nicholas Rogues Don't Look Now are, um, <laughs> uh, like, basically 
knock her out, strangle her, put her in a pew, and set her on fire. Yeah, burn her up. Burn her. And she dies. They they come in and find her charred, fucking still burning corpse in the pew and start freaking out. And they're like, oh my god. So from here, it goes into, well, what you'd expect <coughs> from this film. There's a mystery. People keep getting killed by a smallish figure. And, and wearing everybody, a- like, immediately, like, body still smoldering, goes, Alice did it. Yeah. And every death and every attack that happens, immediately, Alice did yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and the mom's like, there's no way Alice did it. Alice didn't do this. I was like, Mom, why are they doing this to me? It's not me. It's my sister. She's not actually dead. She's come back. <laughs> so the sister's like, okay, it's a ghost of my... Uh, like, Alice's like, it's a ghost of my sister. Everybody else is like, it's Alice. Uh, the viewer is like, okay, we've seen enough of those films to know it's not either one of those I know, things. I was watching the movie and going like, if it's Alice at the end of this movie, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> I know. It felt like, like, you watch these, you're like, alright, so this is probably famous because it had a twist. Actually, I felt like a good twist would have been to lead you to believe that it wasn't her. Only for it to actually be a, have a brutal thing where it is her. Yeah. That would have actually been a cool way to do it. Where it's like the whole movie is leading you to believe, even though everyone else believes it's it's her, that the movie wants the audience to think there's no way it's her. Only for it to turn out to actually be her. Would have been a cool way to do it. What they end up with is a really tiny side character who out of nowhere it actually yeah, is. who suddenly becomes the killer. And yeah. admittedly, <sighs> the movie became better for me once it's revealed who it is because they completely drop with the go like putting Alice through the torture and get into the this is a slasher who's just started killing people left and right and that's when the movie got better for me even though like there's really flimsy reasons for the killer to have killed the people they do and this film got a lot of accu- accusations when it came out of being anti-Catholic and the writer director has actually called, referred to himself as the ex-Catholic so I suppose that's fair <laughs> I mean it is yeah it is um I mean, like, nothing here is, like, nobody's going off on a speech like uh, George C. Scott and The Exorcist 3 against religion here. You know, it, it, it's not that kind of movie. Like, I mean, the actors all do really good jobs. The characters are kind of interesting. There's there's a couple of deaths in this movie that legitimately surprised me. Mm-hmm. Overall, I actually kind of really enjoyed this movie a lot more than I expected to when I began it. I had mixed feelings about it. Honestly, even the film that I think is much better than this, I still have mixed feelings about Don't Look Now. Um, I I mean, it's very, it's much more campy than that film is. Uh, uh, It even teeters on exploitation at points. It was the exploitation part that I liked. Yeah. I will say, though, that there is a gotcha ending that this movie, like the last eight seconds of this yeah. movie, that is so flippin' stupid. But it made me laugh. I just rolled my like, like I audibly rolled my eyes. I, that I, I laughed because I was just not all that invested, <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's t- really exactly what I expected. Quite frankly, from this movie to do but, that. Uh, uh, did you watch any of the special features? Uh, I. Bye. I believe I scanned through a few of them. Yeah, I, I um, part of the behind the scenes, my favorite little factoid that I picked up before I watched the movie is that this movie happened, and I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure the director made a porno and then was in trouble for obscenity laws. <laughs> 
And that was why he was free and why he made this movie. He got together with the author and they wanted to make a movie about childhood dysfunctional families. Wow, okay, I missed that one. But there is, because is there a, not only is this a spectacularly well done upgrade to this film, if you're one of those people who I'm, I know there are many who have very fond memories of Alice Sweet Alice, there's a lot of other than that great upgrade, extra features. There's First Communion. Alfred Soul remembers Alice Sweet Alice, which is an interview with the director. Alice in My Mind, uh, which is an interview with the composer of the music. In the Name of the Father. I wish they would send me In the Name of the Father again. That's a great movie. Is it? With Daniel Day-Lewis. That was like one of his first big breakout movies. I've heard of it. Oh, it's so great. In the Name of the Father, 16 Minutes, and an interview with uh, actor Niles McMaster. Lost Childhood, the locations of Alice, Sweet Alice, which is the tour going through. Actually, I'm always kind of bored by that shit. I'm like, you yeah. know what? Unless it's the Evil Dead 2 and you're going to take us to the cabin, I don't care. Um, Sweet Memories, Dante Tomaselli on Alice, Sweet Alice, which is uh, filmmaker Tomaselli, who is apparently the cousin of the, of the, the director. I don't know. There's... Uh, Almost three minutes of deleted scenes. They're just very brief deleted scenes here uh, okay, that, that are unnecessary. There's alternate opening titles, original trailer, a UK TV spot, image gallery, Holy Terror, which is an entirely different cut of the film released in 1981 with a different title card and minor editing difference. It was the television version, basically. I don't know why they felt the need to include the whole thing here. Uh, There are two different audio commentaries, and you can get BD-ROM, the original screenplay here as well, as well as a booklet and a folded mini poster. So for fans of this film, like I said, there are many. Arrow puts out some stuff sometimes where I just roll my eyes and I'm like, why? Yeah. This is not, but you, fun. but you always got to give them, this. but you always got to give them full credit for the love and attention yeah. they give to even the worst movies they like, choose to the, put out. This was okay. This you, was like sometimes I, you're I like, enjoyed. I questioned your choices of what movies to to put out. Sometimes Arrow, but I never questioned the love you go into yeah. in the way that no, you release them. Hard. So you know that you have those movies you encounter every once in a while, Aaron. <laughs> that you're like. Oh, you can tell um, you can tell immediately that this is just garbage. But there's just there's garbage and then there's garbage that is almost at the room level garbage uh, where you're like yeah. this is so incredibly badly planned and, and offensive un- offensive and badly acted and directed and everything about it is so like <clears throat> like heightenedly bad that you can't stop watching it. I might actually go back at some point and show to other people and rewatch this you know, movie, Rock Paper Scissors, I, I, because I could, of that. I could see watching Rock Paper Scissors again if there was a lot of booze and a big crowd. Yeah, no, it's a movie I can see. Like if you had like a like someday I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> and I'll have a giant pool with a big projection screen and people come over every weekend and they'll have to watch whatever I watch where I come up and do a little introduction and one of those nights it's going to be rock, paper, scissors and I'll be like, look guys, this movie's fucking terrible but y'all are drunk and you're going to love it. So <laughs> this movie came out in 2017 which uh, I still don't really quite believe. I had to IMDb it. I swear to God this movie came out in 1992. Uh, and, oh, God, it's so bad. Um, it is about a serial killer who the movie opens, opens with him slitting the throat of his 12th woman. 
Yeah. And he is a very graphically. Very graphically. On screen, cut, blood spurting, everything. It's a pretty brutal convincing effect. After playing rock, paper, scissors. That's the gimmick. Like, you've got to play rock, paper, scissors with me. And he cheats. But, um... And then Michael Madsen as the main character. Right there is a point in any modern film. (laughs) Unless it's a Tarantino film. If the moment Madsen appears in a movie, you go, oh, this is going to be terrible. So, arrests him. He goes to he goes to court and which this is five minutes in my favorite line of dialogue in the entire movie. I'm going to stop the plot description to tell it. He's in court. They prevent ir, present irrefutable evidence. He murdered twelve to seventeen women. I don't remember the number enough that he would be put to death or life in prison. The judge explicitly says, and I quote: "You are going away for the rest of your natural life." To like a mental health institution, Michael Madsen outbursts. I'm gonna be here when you get out. I know, even though they just but, said. And then the the next scene, less than thirty seconds after the line "rest of your natural life" is uttered, he gets out of prison. Like, and it's like four years later. It feels like it's been twenty minutes later. Yeah, yeah. But so he gets out, and the movie follows. I'm fine now. The movie <laughs> follows him, kind of like the woods followed uh, a child molester trying to deal with his issue. It was him trying not to become a killer again, and like within five minutes of the movie, you go. Even if you buy the fact that they would ever, ever, under any circumstances, set a person loose who murdered this many people. Within five minutes, you're like, oh, you're not cured. You, you you should be back in your institution. But So the movie continues forward with Michael Madsen stalking him, who is no longer a cop, and he's just some burnt-out drunk. Yeah. And a Who's woman, obsessed with him. A woman moves in across the street who is the sister of the character, the woman who was killed in the beginning, and basically is trying to make him go crazy again. Well, like, I mean, like, like it's she, hard to tell. She tells him that she's trying to interview him, which she's not because she's not a journalist. And she's all... She, she pretends she, she's a journalist. She's a black belt in martial arts. Right. And she's ready to defend herself. So let me just say, she pretends but, she's a journalist to him. I want to tell your story. But, and and then Michael Madsen shows up. What are you doing, bitch? And she's like, okay, I'm not actually a journalist. My sister was the last person killed by him, so I want to get revenge? Question mark. Like, like it's she. She doesn't just kill him. She like pretty clearly is is trying to make him try to kill again. Like she wants to justify her murder of him. And the movie just descends from there. Uh, he is clearly crazy and losing his mind. Uh, he starts to like stalk a high school family and like when I say stalk like in most movies he will be following them in the truck he actually parks his truck on the football field at one point to watch her as a cheerleader on the very subtle yeah, it's like I, I paused the movie and was like how how did you get your truck there like there's a closed gate like you you had to like pick a lock and relock it behind you yeah and then then the movie actually goes off the rails at that point, because this is all relatively coherent. Then there's a plot line involving twins that pops up, and the movie just goes really crazy. I just... It's so off the rails 
and not in a way that they clearly didn't intend it to be. Like, there's no point where you're laughing with this movie. No, no. This is a dead serious attempt at making a really, I I guess, they they thought it was interesting look at a serial killer. Yeah. And it's just so, like I said, we are nearing the room levels of bad. I have to, there is really no part of this movie that works. The acting is bad. The direction is laughable. Oh, and let me just say that, like, directed by Tom Holland, who is kind of a horror stalwart, he did, uh, he wrote Psycho 2, which is a genuinely decent film, believe it or not. Psycho 2, well worth watching. He directed the first Child's Play movie. He wrote and directed the first Fortnite. He made, directed the Stephen King adaptations, The Langoliers, which I stand by. I thought was a solid adaptation. And Thinner, which I don't as much stand by. But right. to won the Saturn Award twice. He's got a long like career of stuff where you're like, okay. Uh, he wrote Cloak and Dagger, which is a, a little uh, cult Wait, film that I really? enjoy. Yeah, The 80s spy movie with Yes, yes, shit, exactly. He uh, directed Fatal Beauty. Do you remember that one? No, uh, uh, with Whoopi Goldberg that. as a detective. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I take back my comment earlier. I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't he wrote, I don't like his filmography, actually. I take it back. He's done good stuff. He even wrote the remake of Fright Night, which I thought was pretty solid. I thoroughly enjoyed the yeah. Fright Night. Um, he's a guy where I'm like, oh, I expected something decent here. I don't know what the fuck happened in Rock, Paper, Scissors, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. It is a train wreck of epic proportions. There's, there's, there is literally not one single element of this movie that actually works. No. Which makes it, you're right, eminently entertaining. Yeah, it is. It's just the fact that it's so across the board doesn't work <laughs> on any level, but it so is excited about thinking that it's working <laughs> that it makes it just can't stop watching it. I will almost certainly go back and rewatch this film with other people and just go, I can't wait to see people go, why are you making us watch this? Uh, Maureen McCormick has a brief appearance in here as well, who played uh, Marsha Brady on the Brady Bunch, yep. who gets killed like horribly. There's a bunch of recognizable stars in here. Tatum O'Neill, a uh, huge 70s actress whose career never really like survived the 80s, is in here in a relatively major role as the psychologist. Uh, and Mar- Anna Margaret, uh, who's a Disney star, uh, is playing <coughs> the hot young thing who he's obsessed with. Oh, the uh, bitchy teen? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And she is hot. Holy shit. Like, oh my God, who is that? And then I look it up, see it's a Disney star, and immediately feel dirty. I was about to say, she's <laughs> young enough that I don't know that you should be saying that out loud. No, she's like in her 20s. <laughs> I just, there's something about having looked for the Disney channel. I mean, I can still lust after Anne Hathaway. She's in her 30s now. That's but, fair. I don't know. Anyway, this is, like I said, bad on a, a level that's good. I, I, it's, okay. I was joking with you, but halfway serious about saying maybe we should make this our pick of the week just for that purpose. No. But I can't in good conscience do it. No, I can't act, I can't have anybody see it. There might be someone out there that sees the pick of the week and just automatically buys it. And without the context of what we're saying, I can't recommend that no. at all. Um, so there's no pick of the week this week because I don't think anything qualifies as a no, standout. No, no, there is nothing here that I would outright recommend to anyone. No, there is not. I'm sorry. It just it's all a mixed bag tending towards 
not the good. only thing I can say that was I was happy about it is this is this was part of a larger set, and I watched all of these movies uh, unintentionally. It just happened to be the way you formatted it. I watched all of these movies first, so I at least got to watch all the bad movies and then got to watch the good ones. Well, can I also <laughs> say that this was written by the guy who wrote the original Friday the 13th? Yeah. Oh. Victor Miller. God. Uh, How did this happen? No how? one will ever know. God but bless. I'm happy to have it in my collection now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to make Patience watch it and pretend oh, like it's gonna... amazing. I'll be like, Patience, this movie's amazing. You need to see this. Yeah, but Patience is going to like it. <laughs> She might, to be fair. For more on that, listen to Deliberations of Doom. I really hope I see this on a Deliberations of Doom episode. That I would, would make me so happy. I would never want make the other two guys watch this. <laughs>